and welcome to episode four of Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to the children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up on. Now, this week, we're going to be discussing Animaniacs. Now, this week, I'm recording solo as my previous hosts were unable to record with me tonight. So we're going to talk about the Animaniacs show. I wanted to go ahead and talk about something. This really is a show that I really am very passionate about. I loved this show when I was growing up as a kid. It was a great show. I watched it going through in my years into high school, and it was really, it wasn't aimed just at kids. It was aimed at everybody. Parents got a lot of the jokes. You know, kids got a lot of the jokes. Teenagers, it was aimed for the entire family to really watch it, and that's why I loved it so much. There were a lot of, lot of subtle humor uh, if you ever watched any of the old Looney Tunes stuff, they really had a lot of that same subtle humor in it, and Animaniacs brought that back. Now, this show was actually presented by Steven Spielberg. Uh, it originally was called Steven Spielberg's Presents Animaniacs, and it's usually referred to just simply as Animaniacs. Uh, it was an American animated television series distributed by Warner Brothers Television, produced by Amblin Entertainment. So there you go again. Thank you, Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> Uh, it was also produced by Warner Brothers Animation. Uh, Animaniacs is the second animation series produced in the collaboration of Steel, Steven Spielberg and Warner Brothers Animation during the animation renaissance of the late 80s and 90s, the first being Tiny Toon Adventures, uh, which, of course, that was a success among a lot of the younger viewers, and they really wanted to capture something that would pick up the older audiences as well as the parents, something that, like I said, everybody could watch together. The Animatics writers and animators were really led by senior producer Tom Ruger, who used experience gained from Tiny Toons uh, to really create new animated characters that were cast in the mold of Chuck Jones and Tex Avery. Uh, if you're not sure of who Chuck Jones are, he was an excellent, excellent director of cartoons. He helped really uh, kind of mold Looney Tunes as to what they were back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, it, it, you ever seen anything like Duck Amuck? He really did that well. Uh, What's Opera Doc? Uh, he also helped create the iconic look of what Tom and Jerry really was, not in the very beginning when they had uh, when they had Mammy Two Shoes, but kind of later on as you started seeing more of a more of a line art that was very reminiscent of uh, um, Grinch before Grinch who stole Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the comedy of Animaniacs was a broad mix of old-fashioned wit, slapstick, pop culture references, and cartoon violence. Kind of a mix of everything there. Uh, show featured a number of comedic educational segments that covered segments and subjects such as history, mathematics, geography, astronomy, science, social studies, often in musical form. A perfect example of that would be Yakko's World and Yakko's Universe, which I'll go ahead and insert here for everybody to listen to. And now, the nations of the world, brought to you by Yakko Warner. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and still, Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Bahamas, Tobago, San Juan, Paraguay, Uruguay, Suriname, and French Guiana, Barbados, and Guam. Norway and Sweden and Iceland and Finland and Germany now want peace. Switzerland, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Italy, Turkey and Greece. 
Poland, Romania, Scotland, Albania, Ireland, Russia, Oman, Bulgaria, Saudi Arabia, Hungary, Cyprus, Iraq, and Iran. There's Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, both Yemen's Kuwait, and Bahrain. The Netherlands, Luxembourg, Belgium, and Portugal, France, England, Denmark, and Spain. India, Pakistan, Burma, Afghanistan, Thailand, Nepal, and Bhutan. Cambodia, Malaysia, then Bangladesh, Asia, and China, Korea, Japan. Mongolia, Laos, and Tibet, Indonesia, the Philippine Islands, Taiwan. Sri Lanka, New Guinea, Sumatra, New Zealand, and Borneo, and Vietnam. Tunisia, Morocco, Uganda, Angola, Zimbabwe, Djibouti, Botswana. Mozambique, Zambia, Swaziland, Gambia, Guinea, Algeria, Ghana. Uganda, Lesotho, and Malawi, Togo, the Spanish Sahara is gone. Niger, Nigeria, Chad, and Liberia, Egypt, and Nina, Gabon. Tanzania, Somalia, Kenya, and Mali, Sierra Leone, and Algier. Dahomey, Namibia, Senegal, Libya, Cameroon, Congo, Zaire, Ethiopia, Guinea, Bissau, Madagascar, Rwanda, Mayor, and Cayman. Hong Kong, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, Yugoslavia. Crete, Mauritania, then Transylvania, Monaco, Liechtenstein, Malta, and Palestine, Fiji, Australia, Sudan. So there you have it, Yakko's World. Now, Animaniacs itself was a variety show with short skits featuring a large cast of characters. While the show had no set format, the majority of episodes were comprised of three short mini-episodes, each starring a different set of characters and bridging segments. So you had stuff where it would be, uh, for example, you'd have where you'd you'd see the Warner Brothers and their Warner sister, Dot. Uh, You would then see maybe an episode where it would have... uh, Goodfellas, or I'm sorry, not Goodfellas, Goodfeathers, and then maybe something with Slappy Squirrel. And they'd usually stick a little bridging segment in between them. Usually something where, uh, for example, the Warner Brothers and sister were being chased by Ralph, or they'd have a little short segment with them singing something like uh, Earthquake or, again, another great Lake Chedicaca. Uh, Animaniacs did first air on Fox Kids from 1993 to 1995. Uh, new episodes later appeared on the WB from 1995 to 1998 as part of its kids' WB afternoon programming block. And that was really where I watched it. Uh, it was I would kind of bounce between Fox, and once WB really started becoming into its prime, back well, back when the WB was still a uh, network, uh, really kind of started watching it there. And I loved seeing these characters. You know, seeing Yakka Warner and seeing Dot, seeing Rita and Runt, uh, of course, Pinky and the Brain, everybody who remembers that, loved those characters. You know, yes, I was 14, 15, 16 years old, but they were still relevant to me even then. Uh, the series did have a total of 99 episodes and one film titled Wacko's Wish, which is really, I kind of like that movie because it was a very non-denominational movie. Uh, you had characters such like Ben Stein in there uh, who showed up to do cameo voicing. Uh, you know, it was it was a really sweet Christmas-type movie that really, if it went across a bunch of different platforms, and I really liked it. And in that movie, you actually do see Brain getting the world. Uh, they do make a joke about that. Pinky does hand Brain a little world on little globe on a keychain and says, "Here, Brain, you've gotten the world. You've taken it over now." Now, reruns of the show have aired on Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, Nicktoons, and since January of 2013. It also aired on The Hub. Uh, basically, the premise of this show was really pretty simple. It was uh, Warner siblings and their other characters. They lived in Burbank, California, on the Warner Studios lot for the most part. Uh, however, characters from the series did have episodes in very various places and periods of time. Uh, Animaniacs characters themselves interacted with various famous persons and creators of the past and present, as well as mythological characters and, and characters from modern television. 
uh, several episodes that they've interacted with. Uh, one, one of the more famous ones that I remember here was uh, a great one where they met up with Michelangelo. And they walk into the Sistine Chapel, and Michelangelo's pitching a fit. He's trying to paint the chapel, and he's trying to finish it before his eminence shows up. And you're watching it, and you're seeing them paint it. And the Warner Brothers, he kicks out all of his previous assistants. And the Warner Brothers show up because he has a sign outside, Painters Wanted. So they come in, they repaint the entire Sistine Chapel with, with white color and paint over everything because they're offended by the fact that he's painting naked people. <laughs> so he goes through it, he paints it all, and they're like, oh my god, I have to finish this because his eminence is coming tomorrow. His eminence is showing up tomorrow. So they go through and they paint the entire Sistine Chapel up. At the very end, Michelangelo's staring at the center of the of the Sistine Chapel ceiling, and he's going, I have but one blank spot, and I don't know what to paint there. And he's looking around, and he goes, And his eminence, his eminence is coming very shortly. He'll be here any minute now. And the Warner Brothers look at him and say, We'll take care of it. We'll take care of it. Next thing you see is you see Michelangelo go running outside to go talk to his eminence who's coming in. And he goes, he turns around, he looks up the ceiling, and goes, Oh my God, what have you done? What have you done? And at that point, you see his eminence look up and go, I like it. And it's a caricature of Steven Spielberg. The picture shows E.T. and Elliot touching fingers. <laughs> so it's really classic. Uh, you know, they, there was a lot of humor like that, a lot of pop culture references that, again, really kind of was generational. You had to be from our generation in order to really understand some of it. They did have, for example, they had a party uh, later on in one episode where it shows them, and they're all going around. You see all these famous people, and there's people like Mel Gibson, and you see... Uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Crystal, and they're sitting at a table, and Billy Crystal's dressed up like a cowboy from City Slickers. And they're both talking back and forth. And Whoopi says something to the effect of great party, and he, and he goes, Billy Crystal looks at her and he goes, it's marvelous, darling, simply marvelous. So really a lot, you know, like I said, a lot of pop culture references in this. Uh, some of the other mythological characters that I do want to talk about here, one of them being that they go through and they meet Satan. And they're going through and they're going into Hades and they actually meet like the Lord of Evil. And the guy who's voicing it is none other than Ron Perlman. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are going, who's Ron Perlman? Well, if you ever saw the movie Hellboy, Ron Perlman was actually Hellboy. He's also the same guy that shows up as the club leader on the TV show Sons of Anarchy. I, I always thought that was kind of ironic that here they have the Lord of Hell playing, you know, and he comes back to play Hellboy later on, you know, probably... Uh, probably 10, 15, 20 years later. Uh, now, Andrea Romano, the casting and recording director of Animaniacs, did say that the Warner Brothers really tied the show together uh, by appearing in and introducing other character segments. And that actually was kind of a running gag. You did see, uh, you would see things where, for example, in the very first Good Feathers, they did have the Good Feathers walking across the street and they stop and you see them get into a taxi. And as the taxi door shuts... Along comes Ralph and the three Animaniacs chasing each other, and they have the whole chase scene music going on as they bounce across top of the taxi and go off off screen. So you do see a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, you'll also see things in between with little shortcuts where the Warner Brothers do come out and they do this little wheel of morality, turn, 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 tell us the lesson that we should learn. <laughs> uh, again, great scenes because you always, you always heard things uh, which you never thought about. And it really was, there were really a lot of non sequiturs for them, things that you wouldn't necessarily maybe understand, but they would go off and they'd feed off of that. Uh, 
Now, getting into some of the characters here, uh, of course, we have, as the, as the Warner Brothers and their Warner sister, we have Yakko, who was voiced by Rob Paulson. Uh, Rob Paulson has done a lot of work within the industry over the years. Rob Paulson has been Bravo Man. He's been uh, not. He's been on Jimmy Neutron as Carl Weezer. Uh, he was PJ on Goof Troop. Uh, he was on. He was Quirky on the Snorks. Which, if you ever listened to Rob Paulson's podcast at Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson, uh, he he will tell you straight up he has no flipping idea what his characters what he did for the voice of Quirky. But uh, Rob Paulson does appear actually with several other voices within Animaniacs, and we'll be touching on those here in a minute or so. Uh, to continue on with the Warner Brothers, we do have Wacko, who was voiced by Jess Arnell. Uh, Jess Arnell, he looks for all the world. If you ever see him, uh, he's done several live shows, and he's continuing to do live shows now. He actually plays in his own band, and his next-door neighbor happens to be uh, William Shatner and William Shatner. He jokes about this. He does William Shatner's voice almost to a T and he'll joke about how Warner, Warner uh, William Shatner thinks that he is Gene Simmons from kiss. He's got the long curly hair. Uh, you know, he always wears like goofy stuff, but you know, he always, you know, William Shatner, he always jokes that William Shatner sees him and goes, Oh, hi Gene. Uh, then of course we have dot who is the Warner brothers, uh, sister. Uh, she is the sing- she's the only female in the group. Uh, she is voiced by Tress McNeil. Uh, Tress McNeil also did. Uh, she came off the heels of doing uh, Babs Bunny on Tiny Toons, as well as a slew of other characters. It's she's like, oh gosh, I, I can't even think of half the stuff that she's done off the top of my head. But if you look her up on IMDb, you'll definitely see her showing up. Uh, now the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister. Of course, that was the ongoing joke is that they would come out and they'd go, hi, we're the Warner Brothers. And then Dot would interrupt and go, and the Warner sister. Uh, Yakko would be the oldest. Uh, he was a fast-talking smartass, uh, reminiscent a lot of times as Groucho Marx. Uh, Wacko, who's the middle child, he has a huge appetite, gag bag filled with tricks, and often has his tongue sticking out. And he had an accent modeled by Harnell after a younger John Lennon. And if you ever really kind of listen to it, that's really where he kind of, uh, you can definitely hear that little bit of uh, Liverpool-type accent in there. And Harnell actually said that he got this part because he could do Beatles impressions. He actually kind of started doing John Lennon, and he would do it a little bit deeper. And then he said he kind of just rolled up into it and lifted his voice up just a little bit out of the cellars and a little bit, in a way, to kind of get that whole wacko Warner sound where it's a little bit higher pitched. Not much, but if you listen to it, you can hear that. Now, of course, we do also have Dot, who is the youngest. She's cute and sassy and uses her apparent apparent innocence to manipulate and torment those who stand in her way, as well as chasing leading men from Hollywood. Prime example of the time, uh, kind of date the show here, was Mel Gibson. Uh, There's actually a rather humorous episode in the first season, first volume of Animaniacs, where... uh, the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister are called in to, uh, they're basically called in to be the secretary for uh, the head of Warner Brothers Studios. And while they're there, uh, Mel Gibson actually walks in and Dot's working the front desk. And she kind of just goes berserk over over Mel Gibson. She's like, oh, Mel, you can stay there. Hey, would you like to go on a cruise? Have you ever been on a cruise? Would you like to go on one with me? Uh, no, I'll get out of here. Thank you. 
Uh, Warners often appear in other character skits, as I mentioned before. For example, the Goodfellas, uh, Goodfeathers scene where they are being chased. Uh, they do run through a lot of the scenes in and out. Uh, and you do see other characters doing this as well. There are several times where you'll see Rita and Runt showing up. Uh, there was one episode that they did where they did a whole Good Night Moon story. And you see all the characters going through within the Good Night Moon. And they're showing up. And at one point, they say something about a cat sleeping or something like that. Good night, cat. And, you know, Runt stands up and he goes, cat, cat, where's a cat? I don't see no cat. Hey, Rita, do you see a cat? And, of course, the cat is Rita. <laughs> now, moving on from this character list, uh, from the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister, we do have, again, another character voiced by Rob Paulson for this show, Dr. Otto Scratchenson. And this guy is hes a German-accented studio psychiatrist. Uh, who basically attempts to force the Warners to be less zany. Uh, they get a little crazy. Uh, when he first, when you first see him, Dr. Dr. Scratch and Sniff actually has a head of hair. He, uh, it looks kind of like a lion's mane. He actually starts getting stressed out with the Warners in the very first uh, couple of episodes, and he actually starts tearing his hair out. And so as you see him showing up in later episodes, Dr. Scratch and Sniff is bald because he's torn his hair out over the Warners. Uh there was a really good episode where they do end up, uh, they're trying to go through and they're trying to be good. And Dr. Scratch and Sniff has to step in and he has to teach them all to be good so that they can be in the, they can go to this party that the studio heads are throwing because they're trying to get $1 billion. Well, with regards to that, Dr. Scratch and Sniff, he does tell them, hey, you've been good children. I really appreciate this, but studio head says you have to go to bed now. And they're like, but it's only 8 o'clock. Well, yeah, you got to go to bed. So let's get out of lawn. And he basically kicks them out and they say, you know what? This There are times to go to bed early and this is not one of them. They come back and they, of course, have their typical Warner habit. Uh, they wreck havoc all throughout the studio and cause trouble, you know. And, of course, it turns out that the Japanese businessmen who are there, they love it and they think they're the life of the party and they tell them great party. And they give them the billion dollars that was supposed to go to the studio head. Now, if we continue on down the list, Dr. Scratch and Sniff did actually have an assistant uh, who does show up, and that's Hello Nurse, uh, who is played by Tress McNeil. Uh, she's the buxom studio nurse over whom Yakko and Wacko continuously fawn. Uh, if you ever see her, they always walk in and they go, Hello, nurse. And, of course, they always want to jump into her arms and, you know, hug her and kiss her and just be adorable to her. Uh, they basically, they will do this name if they see any beautiful female creatures. Uh, in one of the early episodes within the series, they actually do go to Albert Einstein's uh, residence, and they're in Switzerland. And as they're walking by, they happen to see a woman who's walking by. And it's a buxom woman who's walking by, and she's wearing, you know, typical fare for Switzerland. And they take one look at her, and she's selling hot chocolate. And, of course, what do the boys do? Wacko takes one look at her and goes, hello, Swiss miss, and whistles and starts to chase after her. And Yako goes, hey, we got to sell our box of cookies. <laughs> Move along. Now, Dot also does this sort of thing here uh, when she sees a leading man. For example, when she sees Mel Gibson, it's, Hello, Mel, and she falls all over him. With Hello, Nurse, we do find out in Wacko's Wish that it is revealed that she's actually pretty smart. Her mean IQ is supposed to be 192 compared to Albert Einstein's of 160. Uh, latter characterizations, she does lament that she's respected only for her looks and not for her mind. So it's kind of interesting that they did put this in. They really were trying to make her sound smarter. Uh, now, one of my favorite favorite voice actors does this next character, Ralph. 
Ralph being the security guard who runs around and chases the Warners all over the lot. Uh, Ralph is voiced by Frank Welker. Uh, Frank Welker is, he really is the next man of a thousand voices. Uh, the guy has done so much. He's been Megatron in the original Transformers. Uh, he's been Freddie Jones on on uh, Scooby-Doo for, he's been Freddie on Scooby-Doo since 1960. Okay, the guy's been doing that for over 50 freaking years. Okay, you got to give the guy something. And he's still voicing stuff throughout, constantly. Uh, he's been, you know, like I said, he's been Freddy. He's been Scooby-Doo. He's been the voice of Scooby-Doo. Uh, he did Jabberjaw when he was younger. Uh, really just a lot of characters. And we will cover a lot more with Frank Welker as we go on with the podcast in later episodes. And, of course, Frank Welker will be showing up here in Animaniacs as well. Uh, now, Ralph was a dim war- he was He was the Warner Brothers security guard, as I said. Uh, he was charged with capturing the Warners and controlling them and confining them to the water tower. Uh, he's, pretty much the st- he's pretty much a staple of the chase scenes. Uh, and he really actually just kind of chases the, the Animaniacs around. However, Animaniac- However, Animaniacs was not his first appearance. Uh, he actually first appeared in the Tiny Toon Adventures episode, The Buster Bunny Bunch, although he did look a lot different from what he looks like currently. Uh, now, what's funny is that Frank Welker also voiced another security guard called Dimwitty in the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries in 1984, so kind of a predecessor to what Ralph became. Uh, now, when we get to the head of the studios, as I mentioned, uh, the, the head of Warner Brothers Studios was actually a character that they had built, built up for. This it was called Thaddeus Plotz. And that guy was, again, here we go, Frank Welker. <laughs> uh, basically a little short guy, hot-tempered, you know, money-grubbing. That was that was his focus. Uh, he was kind of the picky and stubborn CEO of the Warner Brothers Studio Cartoon Enterprises. Uh, he was always trying to find a way to corner the Warners and still make money off of them while keeping them confined and keeping them under his thumb. Uh, now, moving on here, we have my favorite duo in this entire series, Uh they were actually so popular that they did get their spinoff, uh, actually two spinoff cartoons from Animaniacs. Uh, this would be Pinky and the Brain, uh, Pinky voiced by Rob Paulson, so really kind of giving you an idea of how versatile Rob Paulson is, considering that he had uh, one character that was Yakko, which really sounds completely different from Otto Scratch and Sniff, uh, who he actually said that Otto, he stole uh, he stole that voice from Peter uh, Peter Sellers in... Uh, Dr. Strangelove. So that whole character, that German scientist sound, really developed in the Scratch and Sniff. And then Pinky was just, he said he kind of just tweaked it, and he said originally they they weren't looking for a voice that was with an English accent, but when he performed Yakko, or when he performed uh, Pinky, with that slight bit of almost like a Cockney drawl, they listened to it and they said, that's what we want, that's Pinky. Now, with Brain, they had Maurice LaMarche. Uh, Maurice LaMarche, uh, he's actually done a lot for Futurama. Um, in Futurama, he is one of the newscasters that you see. Uh, I can't for life remember the name. Zoltar or something like that. Uh, big, green, nasty guy, and he's always screaming at you. Uh, Maurice LaMarche, has, he was also in the original Inspector Gadget series. Uh, he was Chief, and you always heard Inspector Gadget, I'm on it, Chief. Well, when he was talking to his chief and he'd throw the, you know, he'd crumble up the note that would explode and he'd throw it back and the chief would get exploded. Well, that was Maurice LaMarche. Now, 
make note of that Maurice was not the first chief, but he did come in and do the voice of the chief for Inspector Gadget. And we will talk about that in later podcasts. Uh, now, these two characters, Pinky and the Brain, really kind of going along with the theme song with it, you know, one is a genius and the other is insane. That pretty much sums them up. Uh, Pinky was an imbecilic white mouse with Brain being his genius companion. Uh, despite the name of the pair placing Pinky first, the Brain is clearly the leader. Uh, he continuously launches attempts to take over the world, and that's kind of an on-running joke. What are we going to do tonight? You know, and you'll always hear Pinky, what are we going to do tonight, Pink Brain? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Uh, you know, he would always try to take over the world. He'd be accompanied by Pinky. Something always goes wrong with their plans. Uh, usually it's always at least something part that's partially Pinky's fault. Uh, for example, in Jip Parody, which is the very first episode they ever did with Pinky and the Brain, uh, Pinky watches the Honeymooners at the very beginning, and Ralph Cramden is saying, you know, bang, zoom, uh, to the moon, or something like that, to the moon Alice, or something. I forget what the exact lines are. But with when he goes on Jip Parody, which is, it's obviously a parody of Jeopardy. Uh, when he goes on the show and he starts doing the show to try and win $99,000 so that he can build the parts for his own imbimulator. I think that's what it was called. Uh, but when he goes to win the, the money, uh, the last question, the final Jeopardy question that they ask is, who, who was the character that says, bang, zoom? And Pinky had asked him at the very beginning, and, and Brain goes, I don't need to know that. That's completely pointless. He goes, ask me something real. And he whacks Pinky over the head with with a pencil. So, kind of going on. I mean, you hear you see things like that. Uh, there's one where they they do an infomercial, and they're getting everybody jazzed about buying into this and giving Brain all their money. And he basically does this worldwide thing. And I I want to say it happens after the Super Bowl, but I don't remember off the top of my head. And he kind of sucks everybody in to do this. And everybody's watching this and watching this, and he gives like this five minute break. And everybody gets up to go pee. Well, in the process of having to do this, all the toilets that are flushing, they flush, and it sucks all it sucks all the water that's powering him, uh, that's that's keeping his his generator that's broadcasting worldwide to televisions. It basically causes to overheat because all the water being flushed, the water pressure goes down and starts sucking away from his generator. So little things like that, you see it happening, basically just to make brains plans go all awry. Uh, now with this particular series, there was, there were quite a few running gags that would go through, uh, you know, the big one again, uh, was G brain, what are we going to do tonight? Uh, another question that you would always hear, and it was always giving, it was always pinky giving some really non sequitur line that had nothing to do with it, but it was kind of like, where the hell did that come from? And this is, I'm sure you know it, pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? Now, Pinky would give a couple of examples of that. Uh, I think so, Brain, but where would we find a duck and a hose at this hour? Or, well, I think so, Brain, but if we didn't have ears, we'd look like weasels. And, of course, if you ever ask Rob Paulson what his favorite one is, his one of his favorites that he always uses is, well, I think so, Brain, but if they called them sad meals, then nobody would buy them. Now, these two characters, they were inspired by two colleagues of, of Tom Ruger, who, when he worked on Tiny Toon Adventures, these guys worked for them. And 
he would always see them. Uh, two characters were Eddie Fitzgerald and Tom Mitten. And basically, Eddie Fitzgerald, he kind of fit what Pinky was. And he would actually walk around the office going, hoit, and, you know, zort, and stuff like that. And, you know, narf, narf, type things. So you'd see him doing that. And Brain was always, you know, Tom Mitten was always kind of hunched over, and he always looked like he had a headache and just kind of, you know, he and so Tom Ruger would see this and he thought, you know, I kind of wonder what these two guys would be like if they were ever going to try and take over the world. And, you know, so it kind of just theorized that that's really where Pinky and the Brain were born. Okay. Uh, some of the other characters, some of the other main characters that we do see in this series, because we have, there's a lot of them. Uh, another favorite of a lot of people is Slappy Squirrel. And Slappy Squirrel... Uh, she was actually voiced by a woman named Sherry Stoner, who Sherry Stoner actually started out as a writer on Tiny Toon Adventures. And she wrote for a lot of things. She also still wrote for Animaniacs. But she kind of voiced it, and, and she went to Tom Tom Ruger and says, you know, I really think that this is kind of what we're looking for with Slappy Squirrel. And I really think that she'd be an old kind of curmud curmudgeonly voice. And Tom said, well, what would she sound like? And... Sherry popped out a voice and he goes, perfect, that's it. And so they started, they used Sherry Stoner to voice Slappy Squirrel. Now, with Slappy, she's basically just, uh, she's kind of supposed to be of the same generation as the older Warner characters. Uh, so she's really kind of coming out of the same generation as Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Uh, you know, she's supposed to be of that era. Uh, she really prefers to use extreme violence and she does... Uh, make a lot of mentions where she'll be talking with her nephew Slappy Squirrel and she'll say, you know, she'll say something to Slappy. She'll beat somebody up and she goes, yeah, old gag done. You know, I did this gag in 1932 in Cave Girl Slappy or something to that effect. And she'll tell, uh, she'll tell her nephew Skippy this. Uh, and of course she always had this, you know, her catchphrase that would show up is now that's comedy. And she would use that to close her segments when she'd beat somebody up or something to that effect. Uh, now, with Skippy Squirrel, uh, who was her young nephew, he was actually voiced by Tom Ruger's son, Nathan. Uh, his, basically, his, with this character, he was kind of trying to figure out they wanted a kid, uh, you know, kid to come in and sound kind of just positive and that whole kid voice. And so, you know, Tom Ruger's son happened to be in the office and he goes, let's try him. And it went and, he, and it stuck. Uh, now with, with Skippy, he's kind of the opposite, the polar opposite of Slappy Squirrel. Uh, his characterization really varies from appearance to appearance, from being completely, you know, slightly naive, uh, within Slappy Goes Walnuts, and that was one of the very first episodes, and he's kind of like just, um, I'm not sure if this violence thing is right, uh, to basically complete innocence, uh, when they do an episode called Bumby's Mom, and Bumby's Mom is supposed to be about it's a spoof on Bambi, you know, Bambi getting shot, you know, Bambi's mom getting shot and killed. And, you know, of course, Skippy starts seeing the movie and he starts crying and Sally, you know, Slappy goes through and she regales him all the story. He goes, look, I know Bambi's mom. I've been out to dinner with her. She ain't dead. <laughs> you know, we've been out to dinner many times. Hell, we used to go out drinking. And then, of course, uh, Skippy Squirrel does go through and he is, basically a complicit partner in Slappy's cartoon classics and her tactics. Uh, he's You really see this in Critical Condition. 
uh, when he starts pulling out a lot of the gags and he's, and Slappy kind of praises him for picking up on a lot of her old gags. Now we are going to move right on into the Good Feathers. Uh, this was another one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, again, I know that the whole show has a lot of favorites, but I really like the Good Feathers. Uh, this one was actually a takeoff of the movie Goodfellas that Warner Brothers had done uh, back in the 80s. And what this is, Good Feathers here, it's a trio of cartoon pigeons. You had Squit, Bobby, and Pesto, uh, voiced by Maurice LaMarche, John Mariano, and Chuck v- Chick Venera. Uh, these three characters were influenced by Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, and Joe Pesci from the movie Goodfellas. And you do see as they go through it, it's basically narrated and you see Squit is the one who's doing the narration. And that's kind of how Ray Liotta's voice, how Ray Liotta did it in Goodfellas was that he was telling the story. Squit's doing basically the same thing. He's kind of telling about things like uh, the plants, the good feathers had to go do um, and how he really wanted to be a good feather. Um, now, as they try to get food and earn respect from other birds, you'll always see Pesto. He'll lose his temper and, he always does something ridiculous, okay? Uh, and he basically does Joe Pesci's scene from Goodfellas, which was, am I a clown? Do I amuse you? How am I funny? Funny how? You know, and then it's always, all right, what? And then he kicks ass, okay? Well, that's pretty much what happens here with Pesto's characters, that every little thing that he says, he takes out of proportion. He blows out of proportion. He takes it a completely different way. Uh, for example, in one episode where they're going after a bagel, Squit tells him, he goes, he goes, hey, he goes, hey, Pesto, you're a really swell bird. And Pesto looks at him and goes, swell, what do you mean swell? I mean, you're swell, you're great, you're swell. And Pesto looks at him and he goes, swell? You mean like I got a swelled head? No, Pesto, I mean you're swell. All right, that's it. Boom, they go off into a fight. He starts kicking ass. Now, perhaps one of my favorite episodes involving the Good Feathers. Uh, this was something that they used to do throughout the Animaniac series was that they would do musical numbers. And usually they were taking some of the most popular musical numbers, you know, music uh, musicals, and they would put them together to do these excellent episodes. Uh, one of my favorites, as I mentioned here, is West Side Pigeons, which is basically a parody of West Side Story. And what it starts off with is that instead of having the sharks and the jets, you have the pigeons and the sparrows. And they're basically fighting over a statue. And it's a statue of Martin Scorsese. And they actually have a song of, uh, instead of who we want to live in America, it's we want to perch on Scorsese's head. Um, you know, they, they have one that they go off about, I feel feathery instead of I feel pretty, oh, so pretty. <laughs> Please don't ask me to sing it. I have a horrible singing voice, so we're just going to skip right over that. <laughs> now, some of the supporting Good Feathers characters, which do show up, which are kind of important. Uh, we do have the God Pigeon. Uh, the God Pigeon, he actually does show up here. He He's kind of a parody of Marlon Brando's uh, Don Vito Corleone from The Godfather. Uh, he's a large, absolutely imme- you know, immense pigeon, uh, very obese. And he's kind of got this old man voice, which is really kind of just raspy, and you can't ever understand what he's saying. The only one who can ever understand what, go- what the God Pigeon is saying is Bobby, and he's always kind of... <sighs> <laughs> type voice, and you hear that. And he basically serves as the boss of the Good Feathers. Uh, he really kind of just rarely joins them, uh, but it's some—it's sometimes basically just a momentarily to lend a hand, usually accomplishing in seconds 
whatever task the trio have been trying to accomplish. Uh, for example, with the bagel, when they're trying to recover the bagel, they go through all these things. They're trying to go up through the manhole to get the bagel. Uh, at one point, uh, Bobby gets out a whistle and he pretends that he's a policeman. He whistles and stops traffic. They go to go out to get the bagel. Bobby gets so frustrated, he blows the whistle and they get run over by the cars. Well, the God Pigeon sees all this. He sees the bagel out, out in the street and he basically stops traffic, walks out there and eats the bagel all in one gulp. And then tells him, hey, you're part of the Good Feathers. Uh, moving on to some of the other characters within the Animaniacs series. Uh, one of my favorites here uh, was actually Rita and Runt. Uh, again, going on with that whole musical numbers episodes uh, where they would take a lot of musicals and put them together. Uh, Rita and Runt really were kind of doing a lot of those. Uh, Rita was actually voiced by Bernadette Peters, who if you if you know anything about musical theater, uh, Bernadette Peters has had a lot of background with movies, uh, with, with stage productions. Uh, she has won a Tony. Uh, but Bernadette Peters has, has done excellent work for things like Into the Woods and Annie Get Your Gun. Uh, so she really does have a good history for musical theater. Uh, with her counterpart, Runt, uh, Runt is basically a large dog, and he's kind of just a dumb dog. He's voiced by Frank Welker. Uh, Rita is, she's a small singing cat uh, with, of course, like I said, the loyal stupid dog uh, who Frank Welker plays. Uh, he thinks that Rita is a dog, so he's always confused when he hears somebody mention that there's a cat around. And he starts looking around like, okay. Uh, Rita's kind of this, she's kind of this cynical New York uh, type attitude who's, you know, you can hear it. You can definitely hear it listening to Rita. Uh, with regards to Runt, uh, Runt is basically, picture Dustin Hoffman from Rain Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely not a cat. Definitely not a cat. Nope, nope, definitely not a cat. And, you know, things like, yeah, you're a good dog, Rita. Yep, definitely a good dog. Yeah. So you do see a lot of that going on with those characters. Uh, you know, Rita would always go on to do a song. One of the most popular ones that they did, as I mentioned with West Side Pigeons, uh, they came in, they did one that was really kind of focusing on just these two characters uh, called Les Miserables. And it's basically a ripoff straight off of Les Miserables. Uh, but it was really kind of a good way to get kids introduced to musical theater and introduce them to popular songs uh, that kind of brought them in. Uh, this these particular characters were actually a large were supposed to be a large part of the series. Uh, they end up getting dropped after a few episodes, though, because Bernadette Peters kept requesting. Uh, she actually really wanted uh, more salary than what they were willing to pay her. Also, that the composers were having a very hard time trying to find a, a top quality song, basically for Rita to sing. Uh, again, going through all the Les Miserables songs, and, and you think about that, uh, a lot of parodies there, and a lot of parodies from, from books like Of Mice and Men and movies of, of that caliber in that era, they were hard to come by. And trying to do a lot of these songs, a lot of the composers were having problems where they were trying to write songs that would work, but they couldn't actually copy the exact songs. They had to try and make something that sounded a lot like it without using the actual same notes. For fear of copyright infringement. 
Now, the next set of characters I do want to talk about, um, these were two I didn't really care too much for, but they were kind of put in there. Uh, they would be Buttons and Mindy. Uh, they were almost always a slapstick segment uh, in which you'd see Mindy. And it was, Mindy was a little girl that showed up, a little blonde girl that would be followed around uh, through through the scenes by Buttons, who was, uh, I'm not sure what breed of dog Buttons was. Uh, so in some episodes, she was kind of supposed to be resembling, uh, or I'm sorry, Buttons was, he was supposed to be resembling a, like a St. Bernard uh, or some sort of shepherd here. Uh, whenever they do a Buttons and Mindy segment at the beginning of the episode, they would always have a very Lassie-like call-out. And you'd hear them, and you'd hear Mitten screaming out, Buttons! Buttons! Very much like Lassie would. And then, you know, the dog would fall or something like that, or, you know, get hit or something like that, and Mindy would walk up to the dog and go, Silly doggy. Mindy was always Mindy was always getting into trouble, uh, always in slapstick, slapstick or uh, very comedic fashion. Uh, it was kind of like the original, the old John Hughes movie, Baby's Day Out, where you would see just absolutely, completely goofy segments. Uh, for example, uh, one of the very beginning episodes uh, with Buttons and Mindy, it shows it shows Mindy she has a lollipop that gets stuck to the side of the mail truck. And she gets out of this harness that she's tied to in the front yard. She gets out of the harness, holding on to her lollipop that's stuck to the side of the mail truck with buttons chasing after her, trying to keep Mindy safe. And throughout, you see all these things where uh, Mindy's trying to get it off. They end up falling off at an airport and Mindy gets onto this plane and they end up falling out of the plane and Buttons parachutes out with this bag of mail, and when they land, you know, all the mail is scattered around her, and Buttons almost always gets into trouble at the very end of the episode. Now, with these two characters, uh, Buttons, Buttons the dog, was actually voiced by Frank Welker, uh, and we have Mindy. Mindy was actually voiced by a very famous name. You probably don't, if you don't recognize the name, you will recognize some of the characters that she's done. Uh, this character, this uh, actress, Nancy Cartwright. Now I'm sure you're going, Nancy Cartwright. Nancy Cartwright has been popular for the last 30 years doing the voice of Bart Simpson. Uh, she's also done Ralph Wiggum. She's done voices on Snorks and on Smurfs. Uh, she's been all over the place and you just don't realize it. But yeah, she's been in a lot of lot of things uh again you know this she really doesn't show up a whole lot within animaniacs like people like rob paulson or frank welker do but she does show up here uh some of the other more popular characters that do show up uh throughout this series we do have minerva mink uh she was she was actually supposed to be a very hot looking buxom mink and uh basically anytime she showed up all the men would be turned into babbling idiots when they'd see her and they would kind of do these Tex Avery-esque wild takes. And for those who don't know what Tex Avery is, uh, he would do these crazy things where you'd see jaw dropping and it would be completely all the way to the floor. The tongue would lash out, you know, kind of roll along the floor. Or the eyes would shoot out of the head to be like, oh my god, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. That was a Tex Avery take. 
Uh, and Tex Avery did a lot of that stuff when he was working on Looney Tunes and a lot of his earlier stuff. Uh, he did carry it on when he did The Wonderful World of Tex Avery uh, with his own cartoons before he passed. Uh, now, Minerva Mink actually is kind of notable because she really wasn't all um, she wasn't all that popular throughout the series because when she was supposed to be around, uh, Fox basically took a lot of note and the censors said, hey, she's very uh, sexual, she's overtly sexual and really inappropriate for uh, this predominantly younger audience. So we really, they started cutting a lot of the scenes that she had. And again, going on with the character list, we do have uh, Chicken Boo, which a lot of people may remember. Uh, basically a six foot tall chicken who would be voiced by Chick by uh, Frank Welker, although there really wasn't much for him to say other than, you know, clucking like a chicken or uh, making noise like a giant rooster. Uh, what this was is that Chicken Boo, it was... I always thought it was kind of stupid, and I still do kind of think it's stupid. It's it's funny. I can look back on it now and laugh, but at 14, 15, and 16, I'm like, what the fuck is this about? Uh, basically, you would see him being like a leading actor. They did one where they were doing a whole Gone with the Wind scene, and he's wearing a mask, and he's like got this Zorro hat on, and he's got this mask on, and everybody can't figure out that he's a giant chicken except for one person throughout the entire episode. They'll go through, and it'll always be, whenever Chicken Boo is on, you'll see one person who goes, that's a chicken. That's a giant chicken. How is it that nobody else notices? That's a chicken. You know, and he'll have like the bearish disguise, you know, false beard or a little domino mask that'll sit over his eyes or something like that. And, you know, that'll get accidentally removed, at which point everybody seems to recognize that, oh my God, it's a chicken. And, you know... They all try to go through and, and turn against Chicken Boo and, you know, they'll beat him up or something and he'll get away. Uh, some of the other characters that are memorable, uh, this one here, they actually did a thing about Anvilania and this character uh, called Mr. Director. Uh, he actually shows up. Uh, he's voiced by a guy named Paul Rugg, R-U-G-G, -G, not to be confused with Paul Rudd, who does a lot of the uh, like Knocked Up and the 40-Year-Old Virgin and such. Not that guy. This is a different guy. Paul Rugg, uh, he did the voice for Freakazoid. Uh, he actually did several voices for Hysteria and a lot of writing for Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures, and Hysteria as well. Kind of going along in this whole Warner Brothers vein. Uh, with regards to Mr. Director, he was basically a spoof of the comedian actor Jerry Lewis. And... You know, he'd, he'd go through, he'd basically do his Jerry Lewis type sayings and speaking in a variety of Jewish words in very silly contexts. And you'd see him, hello, nice lady. So you'd see a lot of that. Um, he's basically always, every time that he shows up, he's always some sort of constant annoyance for the Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, when he, when he first showed up and he's trying to direct the Warner Brothers in a movie and he's, he's basically telling them, no, 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 I don't want you to play it this way. I want you to be this. I don't want you to play with an anvil. I want you to be the anvil. And then he'll go on and he'll have this slip and he'll all of a sudden start talking like this. Really annoying type of voice. Um, you know, in the Warner Brothers, when they went through Anvilania, they actually start getting annoyed with him. They have Perry Coma coming out and they're dropping anvils on Mr. Director. So it was great in that respect. They were trying to really hurt him because he was pissing him off. Uh, some other characters that people do love, again, not some of my favorites, uh, Flavio and Marita, 
Uh, these were known as the Hip Hippos. They were supposed to be a wealthy Spanish hippo couple uh, voiced by Frank Welker and Tress McNeil. Uh, so Tress and Frank are all over this again. Uh, they were always obsessed with being trendy, and sometimes they would be seen in dangerous situations, but usually remain unaware of it, and they would also rarely suffer harm due to their large size. Uh, they were always pursued by a zoologist uh, for some reason that considered these hippos endangered species, I guess because they were like special singing hippos. And it's funny, funny that we mentioned this because that zoologist was voiced by Tress McNeil as well. Uh, so you do see you do see her going quite a bit of work on this. Uh, now these hippos also have been made famous here, or they're notable, I should say, uh, for their operatic singing that they've done. Uh, one of their first appearances within Animaniacs was involving a spoof of La Boheme. Uh, which is a very famous opera for those who who haven't heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, go look it up. It actually is a lovely piece that you know, lovely opera works um, that people really should kind of get get to be knowledgeable about. Um, and this is something that's a it's a constant trend for Warner Brothers Animation. Uh, back when Looney Tunes first came out, one that actually got uh, a lot of award nods was one called uh, What's Opera Doc involving Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd doing a lot of scenes from uh, Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. Uh, so you do see a lot of that. Uh, now, with regards to some of the trivia here for this, uh, again, as I mentioned, uh, Satan, the Warner Brothers do encounter Satan, who's supposed to be the ruler of Hades. And, of course, the actor who plays Satan, Ron Perlman, he later goes on to act on camera and as the voice actor for uh, comic book hero Hell Hellboy. Uh we do see that. Uh, also, just as of note, Bernadette Peters, while she has done a lot of Broadway musicals, such as Into the Woods, Nanny, Get Your Gun, she actually never has performed in the musical Les Mis, Les Mis Rob, yet she spoofed it for Les Mis Animals. So, kind of an interesting note there. With regards to Yakko's World, uh, this was actually a song done by a, this guy was amazing, Randy Rogel. Uh, Randy Rogel was... He originally was a writer that was working on Batman the Animated Series, and he was writing very dark, dramatic pieces for uh, Batman. And he heard about all these people that were having fun writing comedy, doing Tiny Toon Adventures at the time. Well, Randy Rogel, he wanted to go off, and he kind of wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to do comedy. He wanted to start writing for the stuff, and everybody was like, no, you're, you're a dramatic writer. You write drama. You can't write comedy. You, you probably don't know the first thing about comedy. So what does Randy Rogel do? He turns around and he writes a song. And he doesn't write just any song. He writes perhaps the most popular song of the entire Animaniacs series. What is the song, you might ask? Yakko's World. Uh, he, he actually brought that forth, and this was his first thing that he'd ever done to say, hey, you know, his opening piece to say, hey, I want a shot at Animaniacs. So they turned around, they did it. Now, when he wrote the song, he's kind of like, you know, he heard that it was going to be accepted. He's like, okay well, who's the guy who's going to do this? And they said, oh, it's this guy named Rob Paulson. He goes, Rob Paulson, never heard of him. Well, then they come back and Rob Paulson sings the song and he actually does it all. If, if you hear it, and I'm going to, you know, like I said, I played it before here in the show. It's absolutely phenomenal how he does this. Here's the, here's the important thing with this song. Rob Paulson did that entire song in one take. He actually did two takes of the song and he talks about this. The, he did two takes because the first take he went through, he buzzed through it, did everything flawlessly, 
carried it off perfectly. Then they went through and they did a second take because the director wanted to do one more. When they played it back for Steven Spielberg, to, for him to make the decisions to which one they wanted, Spielberg chose the very first option. So basically, he did the song, one shot, one take, over and done with. Excellent job. Excellent, excellent job, Mr. Paulson. Uh, now, also, when he was when Rob Paulson was selected to be Yakko Warner, uh, the directors really liked him. Andrea Romano really liked him and for his voice. So much so that they really stacked the odds in his favor. They stacked the auditions towards him. Uh, what happened was that executive st producer Steven Spielberg, he was given a list of what was supposed to be 10 different people for the role. And basically, it was a multitude of couple people. Uh, now, according to Rob, most of the recordings were his voice. So out of 10, I think he said that he had like 7 out of 10 of these voices. Uh, and they were just numbered without a name. Well, Spielberg said he heard it and he goes, I like these three numbers. Well, every single number that he picked happened to be Rob Paulson. So it was really kind of like, okay, hey, we're going to go with these. Rob was pretty much destined for this. And he actually did say in several interviews that, you know, he, he told him, he goes, look, he says, you know, I'm not trying to get on my high horse. I'm not that type of person. And really with, with these voice actors, you hear them, you talk to them. I've, I've met a couple of them. At Comic-Con and WonderCon, Rob Paulson, Clancy Brown, who does uh, – he does Mr. Krabs for uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. He's also done Lex Luthor, and I'll certainly talk about him later on in future episodes. Uh, but really, a lot of these voice actors, they're very much so where they they know where their limits are. They, you know, they work hard. They bust ass to keep these jobs, okay, to get these jobs because you don't see their faces. Well, Rob Paulson, he said he went to the producers. He went to Tom Ruger. He went to Andrea Romano, and he told them, he goes, look, if you guys don't use me, you're going to be making a mistake. And lo and behold, they chose him. They brought him in, and he, he said, he goes, you know, I don't normally do that sort of thing. But he goes, I knew this was going to be – this was going to be hot, and I was going to be hot. And so Rob was very proud that he went through and did that. Uh Really great episodes, you know, great series. Uh, it really actually, normally I would say it does, a lot of the shows don't stand the test of time. Uh, this one here does have its moments. Again, it, it's a lot like the original Looney Tunes of the era, uh, where they made a lot of references to things, to characters like Clark Gable and Cary um, uh, Grant. And uh, I'm trying to think of some of the female Greta Garbo, uh, you see a lot of those older characters, Esther Williams, showing up in the older Tiny Toons. Uh, they do make a lot of pop culture references in that, and really they kind of carried it through again in Animaniacs. So because of that, it kind of doesn't stand up the test of time, at least in my opinion, but I still think it's probably one of the best cartoons ever done. Uh, there's a lot of humor. Like I said, it really kind of covers for everybody. It's, it, you know... Your five-year-old, six-year-old kid is going to enjoy this show. Your 15-year-old kid is going to enjoy this show. And you as an adult are going to get a lot of the adult jokes that are aimed at the adults to really laugh at. You know, And even 25-plus years later, this show has been going on, and people still love it. They're still watching it, even in reruns today. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I do recommend going out, find the DVDs. See if you can find it on streaming, you know, to stream somewhere, maybe on Hulu or Netflix or something. Watch this series. If, watch it on the hub. Watch it wherever you can. 
excellent series. Uh, I really think that you guys need to see this. Uh, so I really do want to thank you guys for listening in tonight. Uh, we've basically gone for about an hour here, and I do want to thank you guys for listening to this. Uh, we will be coming back next week. Uh, I will be having some guest hosts coming in. Uh, some of the topics that we're looking to cover in the future will be things like uh, Star Trek, and I'm looking to try and do uh, possibly Pee-wee's Big Adventure coming up. We do have a lot of things coming here soon. So please keep listening. Again, uh, I do want to thank everybody for listening here. Uh, you can get a hold of me here. Uh, I am on I'm on Twitter at S-P-R-Z-O-U-T on Twitter. Uh, you can also leave us feedback. Um, I have an email of mygenerationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook at Talking About My Generation. And we also have on iTunes, as many of you may have found us. We do ask, please, 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 please rate us. It does help us. Even if you rate us as one, uh, tell us why. If you don't like us, tell us. If you love us, tell us why you love us. Please give feedback because it will help on the show. We will be able to go and expand on that. Uh, I'd love to have other topics. If you guys have any ideas, please email them to me. Please feel free to let me know. I'll move on with whatever topics you guys throw at us. Okay? Uh, so I do want to thank you, and I'll go ahead and sign off here with the Animaniacs theme song. It's time for Animaniacs, and we're saying it to the max. So just sit back and relax, you'll laugh till you collapse with Animaniacs. Come join the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister Dot. Just for fun we run around the Warner movie lot. They lock us in the tower whenever we get caught. But we break loose and then the moose and now you know the plot. We're Animaniacs. Dog is cute and Yakko yaks. Wacko packs away the snacks while the Clinton plays the sax. We're Animaniacs. Meet Pinky and the Brain who want to rule the universe. The feathers flock together, slappy wax them with their purse. Button shades is Mindy while Rita sings a verse. The writer's flip, we have no script, why bother to rehearse? We're Animaniacs. We have pay for play contracts. We're singing to the max, they're baloney in our slacks.